Before we get into the podcast, I just want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about our Rockstar Coaching Course. The Rockstar Coaching Course is not your typical coaching course, guys. This is an eight-week online coaching course that you as the box owner head coach will go through with your entire team together. I created this course because as much as I've gotten value over the years through courses like the level one, level two, level three, and specialty seminars, I've always felt like something was missing when it came time to translate that information back into a great class experience and in turn a successful gym. As a box owner and coach, I quickly found that soft skills like group management, relationship building, and communication skills were far more important to building a successful gym. So I created the Rockstar Coaching Course to put all those skills in a single course and to do it in a way where an entire team of coaches can do it together, not just the owner or one or two coaches going off and doing it on their own. So if you're a box owner and you're looking to develop a stronger and more cohesive team, upgrade your class experience, confidently coach less classes, and retain more members, then this is the course for you. If you sign up today, use code 7 at checkout, and not only will you receive $100 off, but you'll also receive two 45-minute coaching calls with myself to troubleshoot any area of your coaching and your team development, as well as lifetime access to the course. Head over to sevenfigurebox.com slash course to learn more and sign up. Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box podcast. My name is Andrew Frezza. And I'm joined today by Dr. Sean Pastuch. Did I say that right? You did. Well pronounced. Um, and I'm excited to have Sean on the show. If you're listening to this and you don't know who Sean is, then I don't know what the hell happened because I don't have many listeners and I know Sean has a great audience. And if you aren't listening to him yet, please follow Active Life on Instagram. Check them out. Um, they're doing some awesome things. And definitely check out the Active Life podcast because... That's one of my favorites. And one of the things that I love about the Active Life podcast that I'm gonna try to live up to here is that Sean always does a great job of trying to make his episodes different with the same guests. Um, Guests that you've heard on other shows. So if you've heard Sean before, hopefully we can hit on some things that are a little bit different than you've heard before, a little bit different take on the same things. So we got a great topic today that we'll get to in a second, but for those of you that may not know who you are, Sean, can you just give us like real brief synopsis on just a little bit about you, what you do, and all that? Sure. Um, well, that was a nice introduction. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Those, those are the things that I identify myself as before anything. Like I, I own a company that does this. and um, So it's, first, everything goes back to that. I mean, I have a mission statement that I wake up every morning. I read it. And that reminds me why I'm doing what it is that I'm doing. I'll actually read it to you guys this weekend at our workshop. Um, But I mean, really, I'm a person who bucks the status quo. I always kind of ask the question why if I'm not believing in something. And I'm very, very quick to implement something that I believe to be true. So I own a company called Active Life. And Active Life is the only company in the world helping thousands of people to get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. And we started that because we believe that people like you who are listening to this, people like you who's interviewing me, would much rather not spend your time getting out of pain in a physical therapist's office, spending time in the waiting room, and then doing some banded exercise that doesn't get you under a bar or back on the field any faster than normal rest would. We thought there was a better solution, so we created it. And now we teach coaches how to do it too. Awesome. Um, So today's topic we're going to be touching on is... 
you used to be a CrossFit gym owner. Yep. You aren't at this time. But I wanted to put this topic out there of if you were to have to start a brick and mortar fitness facility today, CrossFit gym, personal training studio, I don't know what that would look like. But that's what we're going to explore today is what would that thing look like for you if you were to have to start fresh today? And the first thing I want to know is just like, what are the elements that jump out first? Like, what do you even attack first or, or what jumps to mind to you from a creative standpoint of like, what excites you about being able to start fresh? So what excites me about that is that when I first started my gym, it was 2011. I really had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, I, I mean, this CrossFit thing seems cool. I like people who do CrossFit. I want my own clinic. I want my own gym. Let's do it. And that was it. It was, it was selling forging elite fitness. Who cares? You know what I mean? What I would do now is I would sell something very different than that. And that would require a lot of process and a lot of thought to be in place, which I would be very excited about actually being able to, to achieve, which is I would open a gym that helped people to alleviate their aches and pains and get the body of their dreams, even if they've been to the doctor and they haven't been able to get help there. Even if they've had the pain for five years or more. Even if they feel like they just have to live with it, they're getting too old. And if I had a gym where that was the problem that we solved and we were clear about that was the problem that we solved, we were clear about how we solved it and we were clear about why we were specifically suited to solve that problem, I think we'd be irresistible to people who had it. And it would require me to keep myself, my staff, our facility at a level of performance that quite frankly, I was never forced to achieve and I wasn't regimented enough to achieve myself because we were solving a cheap problem. When you look back at specifically owning the CrossFit gym and getting out of it, what do, what do you think some of the key mistakes were and it could be anything, but what were some of the key mistakes that you felt like you made along the way? And part of that was just a lack of knowledge. So I get that. Um, but what were the things maybe from more of a structural standpoint, building your team, sales process? What were some of those like more tactical things that you felt like you did wrong that you would 100% do differently this time around? So how long do you have? <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes. The, the first and biggest mistake that I made, <clears throat> in my opinion, was I took on investors. And not because the investors were ever down my throat. They were good people. They never gave me a hard time. I wasn't able to get them their money back in my gym. When I got out of my gym, it didn't sell at a profit where my investors were able to make their initial investment back. When I was open, we weren't making enough of a profit. And there are a lot of reasons why. Most of them boil down to me. There are reasons why um, they didn't make their money back. And in hindsight, that's what keeps me up at night is I'm going to make those people their money back. I'm going to give it back to them. And the reason why I feel most, the strongest reason why we weren't able to do it is because I wasn't willing to do what it would take to get our gym to be where I know our gym needed to be because I knew it would cost me the opportunity to do what I'm doing now with active life. And I wasn't willing to make that, um, that exchange, if you will. So that was problem number one. I didn't have a clear vision for where I wanted the gym to go when I first opened it. So I didn't have a map as to how to get anywhere. Um, number two, I opened up my first gym in a strip mall and five months in, got served my papers for lawsuit. You know, a hundred- For noise? For noise. 
that was on it's sometime in May we got the papers and the, the lawsuit ended on October 25th 2012 we won we were allowed to do what we were doing our case was cited as law like we were in good to go no problems nothing to worry about in the future that was October 25th 2012 and October 29th 2012 Hurricane Sandy came and wiped our gym off the map gym my clinic my home and the lawsuit cost us $120,000 to defend ourselves. And then rebuilding the gym was $80,000. Wow. No insurance money. Nothing came. So I was like, okay, uh, let's raise money again. And we did. So it took on more. I made the same mistake twice. I compounded it. And we never got our CO. We never did anything right. It was like, we just have to be open. We have to run. So that's what we did. And... Because I didn't, because I was running, I wasn't looking around and making decisions from a how will we attack this perspective. It was a plug this hole. And then the things that were built to plug holes ended up being the things that were meant to be the structure of the business, which doesn't work. What does your perfect situation look like today? If you are starting fresh, like what does facility size look like? Are you doing personal trainings are you doing group classes what is like sort of the structural side of it in terms of that stuff so um for me it'll be different than what it would be for for you or for maybe somebody else because of where my expertise is and what i'm passionate about i think that whatever you're opening should reflect your passions and it needs to be something that actually brings value to people if, if you open a crossfit gym because you like crossfit and you're passionate about being fit that's not enough. You know, like, okay, so you're just like every other CrossFit gym. Why should I come to yours? There's one down the block. Oh, we have better coaching, better programming, better community. No, you don't. You don't. They have better coaching, programming, community. That's what they tell people. So how are you going to convince people to come to your gym? Word of mouth? Like That's what I hear all the time. I'm sure you do too. Word of yeah. mouth. Oh, we grew by word of mouth. Great. Like feather in your cap. But you're missing where most of your clients should be coming from. Your business shouldn't be more than 50% word of mouth. You, you should market. In my opinion, if I was opening right now, I would affiliate with CrossFit. I would not include CrossFit in my gym's name at all. And that would be so that when people were looking for CrossFit who didn't know what CrossFit was, walked into my gym, I could sell them on what we do. And when they go to another CrossFit gym and drop in somewhere, they'd be like, this is the weirdest fucking CrossFit gym in the world. Even if it's just like 99% of them. So I don't know if I answered your question well. I think I think actually, yeah, that's a great point about uh, just the branding side of it, of, mm-hmm. of using the name or having the name, but not necessarily using it. And do you, I mean, do you feel like in terms of where you're positioned right now as a company, as a whole, do you feel like, it sort of, I don't want to say relies on CrossFit, but so much of uh, the people you're able to help is because they have this very specific knowledge of CrossFit and then you're kind of this one-off branch of it. And obviously you never want to be pigeonholed mm-hmm. in that sense, but uh, how much do you see as, as that's kind of where that niche that you fit? It's the niche we started in. So it's the niche that we naturally have the most progression in already. Uh, that being said, we've worked with professional baseball players, professional you know, strength and conditioning coaches, professional baseball teams, football teams. We've worked with 
NCAA basketball teams, Division One basketball teams. We've worked with professional track athletes, with Olympic medalists in weightlifting. Like, it's, our marketing right now still represents CrossFit because that is where the bulk of our clients come from. It's the easiest to understand, and it's where we have the leverage. We've worked with Rich Froning. We've worked with Tia Toomey. We've worked with Cara Saunders. We've worked with Camille LeBlanc. We've worked with Samantha Briggs. We've worked with, you know, the the, the hit list goes on. I've never heard of any of those people. Never. <laughs> um, and, you know, full transparency, I didn't work with all of them. People in my company did. So it's easy to go to CrossFitters and be like, look, we can do this for them. We can help you. It's harder to go to a high school baseball player and say, hey, we did this for Rich Froning. We can help you. He's like, who's Rich Froning? So we're working now pretty aggressively, actually, at getting outside of the CrossFit space while not losing the CrossFit space. How much do you feel like the, the client, the potential prospect or current prospect or current member of a CrossFit gym, how much do you feel like their relationship with the CrossFit brand has changed? So like if it was five years ago, would CrossFit be on the, the name of the facility, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it was when you opened up, but let's say you, you, know, you can do it again and maybe it's not when you opened up, what was it? When did you open? 2011. 2011. So let's say it's 2014, 2015. Would you slap a CrossFit logo on then? And are you sort of self-aware of your place as it relates to CrossFit today and where the market is in that sense as well? So good question. I think that the answer to that question is in no time ever in history, was it the best idea to put the name CrossFit on your business? I know I'm sitting across from a guy who owns a seven-figure CrossFit gym. But here's the thing. It, it only makes sense if you have no idea how to market. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I am of this cloth. And you understand what they do. You respect what they do. So you'll join mine. The problem is it's a CrossFit, for those of you guys who don't know, is an affiliate model. Which means I run my gym how I want. You run your gym how you want. And we can be next door to each other. Not a franchise model where my gym is in Palm Beach, your gym is in Jupiter, and we run our gym the same way with the same price and with the same menu or with the same offerings. What that means is if you're relying on the name CrossFit to be what drives business into your gym and not good marketing, and not good marketing, by the way, reflects good service. Good marketing tells the story of your good service. So for those of you out there who are like, oh, we're just going to do a great job and everyone's going to come, fuck that. If you, every, no good deed done and not publicized goes unpunished. You have to let people know you're doing it. So to brand as CrossFit and not market is to say, okay, hopefully no one opens up near me. Um, to not brand as CrossFit and not market is to die. To brand as CrossFit and market is kind of your blend, right? It's the people who think they know what CrossFit is, you're now gonna have a harder time reaching them because you're telling them, no, 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 it's not like that. Where people have no idea what CrossFit is, it's the same as if you weren't a CrossFit gym. So I just don't see the advantage except for being on the affiliate map, having somebody see something from CrossFit and say, I'm interested in seeing what that's all about, going to CrossFit.com, zip coding, and finding you because you're local. So you feel that most CrossFit gyms that already have it in their name should be working towards a rebrand in that sense? 100%. Now, like I said, I would not get rid of my affiliate. 
I would keep the affiliate for the marketing on the affiliate finder pack, on the affiliate finder map. But so, okay, I would take it out of my name because there are thousands of people in a five mile radius of where you live who are afraid of CrossFit. The stigma of CrossFit is people get hurt when they do it. You're gonna get hurt or you're gonna get bulky or worst case scenario, both. We all know the bulky thing is a line of bullshit that's not real. The hurt thing, I think a lot of people do get hurt doing CrossFit. I think a lot of people get hurt doing other things too. The thing is, CrossFit is executed really well in some places and really poorly in others. And bad news travels much faster than good news. So I don't want to be associated with those who are doing a bad job. When you think about like kind of the branding side of it, it kind of brought something up for me, which is one, it's a control thing, but two, it's kind of a, it's almost gives it a little bit more of a timelessness. It gives you the ability to create your own story, create a brand, and you're not riding the trend, so to speak, of where CrossFit is in people's minds. When you think about, and this doesn't have to be related to this imaginary gym that you're gonna create again, um, but when you think about the concept of timelessness in our category, how do you apply that to your business of, of not being sort of trendy and just hopping on the next thing or solving problems that are going to be around forever? Yeah, so I boil what you're saying down to the idea of proof of concept, sell the proof, not the concept. So what I mean by that is you open a gym and you get it to a million dollars a year in revenue. I would argue probably 99.9% of CrossFit gyms don't do that. I bet there's less than 20 worldwide who are generating a million dollars in revenue off of recurring membership. That's my guess. I made that up, I could be totally wrong, but I would be willing to bet that farm that it's not 100. It's 15,000. So you guys are doing something really, really, really right. The margin is only gonna be what the margin can be. And you can only grow it so big. Now you can open a second one and repeat the process, take on all the risk, take on all the effort, take on all of that stuff have to hire the coaches, do the day-to-day grunt work that you know it takes, and try to scale yourself, or you can teach people how to do it. And that ideas scale much faster than, than execution does. So if you're CrossFit Palm Beach, which you are, then people... Right, at this moment we are. Right, <laughs> but, but, but so now you have to introduce yourself as, well, this is... I'm Andrew Frezza from CrossFit Palm Beach, but this isn't CrossFit Palm Beach's business. This is a different business. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Where if you were, for example, um, Frezza Athletics, yep. you're not going to call it that. Let's say you called it Frezza Athletics. Well, it's now got a good it's, ring to it. I don't it know what it is about it. It's the A on the end and the <laughs> A in the beginning. It's Well, now you can market Frezza Athletics. Frezza Athletics can serve a larger population than CrossFit can. You can release programs that people can buy from home and do because it's Frezza Athletics and they get great results. And it's not CrossFit, because I don't want to do CrossFit. It is CrossFit, you just don't understand. Now, it also lends you to being able to say, hey, we're gonna teach you the Frezza Athletics way. How we turn this gym into a profitable gym. How we got it to seven figures a year. Because otherwise, everyone's just like, oh, well, you're a CrossFit gym. I know how you got it there. You got a lot of members. Okay, how do I get the members? How do I get them charging $200 a month? How do I hire eight full-time training staff? 
but because you're CrossFit, the assumption is there that this is how you did it. You just got a lot of members. Definitely. Um, who's your first hire? If you're building a gym, who's your first hire in that gym? Do you immediately think of, I want a great personal trainer, a great salesperson? Who's your first hire? It depends on what you're great at. So for me, I'm great at sales. I'm great at, when I say great, on my spectrum of things that I do, the things I'm greatest at are sales and marketing. I have coaches on my staff who are better than me now at coaching clients. That's awesome. So if it was me, I'm hiring somebody to run the classes. I'll get people in. I'll sell people into the class. You just coach them. Then I would hire the next person to do that for redundancy. Then I would hire the next person for sales. That's the order I would go in. Awesome. Um, well, one thing to add to that. Yeah. No business ever went out because it was making too much money. Like So sell. Sales and leadership, in my opinion, are the two most important skills for a business owner to have. When you talk about leadership, how has that evolved for you over recent years and, and what have you done to, to work on that? Yeah, so I used to think that leadership was uh, just follow me, right? I'll, I'll get us there. And what I learned was that leadership is actually me following my staff. It's me saying, what do you love to do? Let's get you doing that as much as possible. And I'll hire somebody else to do this because if I get you doing what you love to do, you're gonna make us more money. And if you're making us more money, it means that we're serving our purpose, which is to humanize the doctor, professionalize the coach, and empower the individual. We're getting people to buy. So we're influencing. Awesome. So I learned that take a staff member, find their strengths, find the things that they like, and cultivate them in them instead of suppressing them and ask them to do the things that need to get done just because they need to get done. And when you hire, hire with transparency. So it sounds like leadership is something that you've put a lot of time into mm -hmm. recently. Um, what's something as you become more successful that you've had to work on that maybe was unexpected that you had to work on a skill you had to develop or what's something you're working on now? Like what's something you're working towards today? So I'll answer the first question. The skill that I had to develop was um, empathy. I had it, but I had no idea how to communicate it. I cared if people were upset, but I didn't know how to communicate it. I cared if people were happy, but I didn't know how to communicate it. So I worked really hard, hired a coach to teach me how to do that. I didn't know that's what I was hiring the coach for, but I hired a coach to teach me how to do that. The thing I'm working on most now is effectively pulling levers and not getting too excited about potential opportunities and not getting too low about lost opportunities. I mean, I had someone, one of the largest companies in the country, I'm not gonna name their name, wanted us to educate their personal trainers on how to be better personal trainers. And then they decided that they didn't want their coaches to do hands-on assessment on anybody. I told them politely, I think that if you wanna have professional coaches, they have to be able to assess somebody. If they can't assess somebody, and there needs to be hands-on an assessment. It's, it's one of the three cues when you're coaching somebody. Right. You have to be able to put your hands on somebody. If you're it's, not usually, it's usually the quickest one to result. Yeah, if you're not professional enough to do it in a professional way, then get out of the fucking business. So I told them, I said, listen, if you're not open to allowing your coaches to have hands-on contact with clients, I don't want to associate with your company. I don't want the active life name associated with you guys, despite the fact that it would have been like, I don't know, a quarter million dollars a year of revenue just pouring into our business for stuff that we already have. Um, but I was like, I don't, want to, I don't want the association. 
So in the past, that would get me low. I would have vengeance. I would be like, we're going to fucking ruin that company. We're going to do what they do better than they do it. And I would take my mind off of the core competencies that we have. And we would lose. Was there a time where you would just take on that situation? And like, how has like getting yeah. no shown up different or, or saying no to things show up differently now for you? How do you assess stuff? I most definitely would have taken that situation. I would, in the past, I would have been like, yeah, whatever we can do. Like, let's just get in. Let's just, let's just start something. Let's do something with you. And the reality is that that would take energy, time, resources away from something that could have been a home run. You know, and, and the biggest home run we've hit recently is I started mentoring my staff much more, much more intentionally. I have a mentorship program that I run. I charge people $5,000 to be in it. It's a 17-week-long program. And they each end up getting, what, nine, 13 hours of access to me. But nine of those hours are as a group. So it was a, it was a, it paid out over a thousand dollars per hour to me, when I put twelve people in this program at five thousand dollars a head. It was a fifty-hour-long program. I get paid sixty thousand dollars. Instead of running it to the public this time around, I'm running it for my staff and making zero dollars, because I know that if I invest in my staff, and they become the people that they are capable of becoming, will make that up in spades. I love it. Love it. Um... When you, when you have all these things coming at you, um, and I know you have a lot on your, your plate already in terms of all the stuff that you guys do at Active Life and all the stuff that you do on a mentorship basis and coaching basis, um, how do you decide with these new projects, what are sort of your guiding principles for deciding what to take on and what to say no to? Does this get us closer to our goal or not? Very simple. It's a, it's and the a, goal is, it goes back to helping people get out of pain? Without, it's It's... it's or is, or is it like a, a larger 2, revenue goal or something 1.2 like million people under service between May of 2022 and May of 2023. That's the goal. That's the outcome goal. Um, the process goal is I want to continuously, I want every single quarter, I want one of my staff members to be able to quit whatever job they were doing to work for us making more money in less time than they ever dreamed that they could. That's, that's my process goal on a regular basis. If I can keep staff overpaid and underworked as opposed to underworked and overpaid, we're going to win. Awesome. Um, I wanted to rewind back to the empathy piece that you mm-hmm. mentioned. Can you make that more tangible for us? Can you give us something that maybe something that really resonated with you or something you had to work on? Anything that, how do you develop that skill better? So... We just went over it for like 45 minutes with your, with your group downstairs. And what I would tell people is, I was given an example by a coach of mine that there's a glass of, if you want to be successful and you hired me to be your, your coach, and I say to you, so it means you believe me, it means, it means you think I can do the job. And I say to you, in front of you, there's a glass of green liquid. And next to that glass is a cup full of ice. And there's a straw, a lemon wedge, a lime wedge, and a measuring cup on the table. If you want to be successful, the first thing I need you to do is drink that green liquid. What do you do? For me, I just assumed everybody would drink it. Then why wouldn't you drink it? I hired you to tell me what to do. You're telling me what to do. What kind of a student am I if I don't listen? It never occurred to me that people might not actually think that was a good idea. Until I hired a coach to teach me that that wasn't the case. And for me, that was a, that was a pivotal moment in my life where I realized that the way that I think is not how most people think. And that's not good. It's not bad. It just is. 
So I need to harness it for good, or it can become destructive. And was that, did that take you most of the way there, or was that step one oh, to opening was, up a lot more? I mean, how much, how much did you have to go beyond that? I, I am famished for more of it. Like I'm constantly seeking more. I, between myself and my partner last year, we spent over $100,000 in personal development. Just meeting people who can make us better people on purpose. It's, I don't think there's anything more valuable to invest in than yourself. And is that mostly being spent on like travel and one-on-one -on -one meetings? Are you going to specific events, seminars, masterminds? Is there anything that you felt like Coaching. this is a must-do thing? Finding, finding a mentor who can take you as far as they can take you and then being ready to move on to the next one. So I worked with one of my friend's fathers first. He was a successful business person. My father's my first mentor. He was a successful business person, but I didn't want to work in his wake. I didn't want to be Keith's son. It wasn't my thing. So um, I hired my friend's dad to coach me because he sold the business very successfully. Got some good stuff out of it. Then I went and started my own business and was doing fine. Wasn't doing well, but I was doing fine. At least I owned my own business. I did a bunch of different businesses that failed miserably, but it was cool. It was like, whatever. I know I didn't want that bad enough because if I did, I would have kept doing it. Um, then I finally hired my mentor who taught me that stuff, the stuff I just talked to you about, the green liquid, and that was, that was a pivotal moment in my life. After I worked with him for 10 months, I took a little break, thought I was good, and then realized that, okay, I know how to get myself to, to this point now, but I don't know how to go to the next step. And I was at a workshop, uh, a mastermind with Bedros Kulian and Craig Ballantyne called The Empire Mastermind. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, Jesse Itzler spoke and a guy named Sharon Srivasta spoke. And afterwards, I had the opportunity to speak to both of them. And I think it was, it might have been Sharon actually, who challenged me to create whatever new company revenue we were doing in a month in a single day. And to be able to do that for an entire week. I was like, how? He's like, if you haven't thought of it, that's great. But now you can think about it. And a few weeks later, we did it. Wow. You know, it, was, it was crazy. And then I realized that Jesse is the kind of guy who, okay, Jesse has four kids, sold a billion dollar company twice. His wife owns Spanx. He doesn't miss his kids' swim meets. That's the kind of guy I want to be. So I hired him to be my mentor. I went to his house for a mastermind. And now it's just constant pursuit awesome how do you know when those things have hit their it sounds like you've had many different mentors how do you know when they've kind of hit their end of the road is it just something that you feel in your gut or you i don't think there's an end of the road i think that there's always value there to go back to there's also the relationship capital you know they they know my name now but like you never know when that's going to come up somewhere else down the line um but it's okay i'm feeling a diminished return from this relationship i'm still feeling a return but it's diminished mm -hmm. If you ask your mentor if they can think of anybody else who they think would be valuable to teach you, and they don't say, I have much more that you need to learn, go learn from the person they told you. That's what I do. Awesome. Um, you, you talked a little bit about like investors being a mistake that you had, and I heard you talk a little bit about business relationships, um, specifically in our, our little seminar we did today. Like, how do you assess when you're when you have a business relationship right now, whether it be, you know, someone that's sort of on the same level with you that you're, uh, 
you know, co-owners of a business or employee working under you that you're mentoring, how do you, how do you sort of evaluate, okay, when is it time to work on this thing versus when it's time to move on? When the energy out doesn't match the, the in, you know, so first and foremost, I think the reason why partnerships break down and I should know, I'm an expert, I've done it three times, is when you are not abundantly clear about your vision and your risk aversion or lack thereof to your partner to achieve that vision. So if you own a CrossFit gym and you want to get the gym to be a seven-figure gym, well, what that means, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is that for a certain period of time, you might have to make less money so that you can give some of that money to a coach who you don't actually need yet, right? Yeah. Well, if my partner needs every dollar that's coming out of the gym now, then that's not going to be appropriate for him. We're gonna have a problem when I try to do it. You have to discuss, this is where I wanna go, this is what I think it's gonna take, are you willing to do that with me before going into it? And I was um, wise enough to eventually have those conversations, not wise enough to have them before I started with all three of my previous business partners once the businesses were underway and in every single case my business partner said no i'm not willing to take the chances that you're willing to take i don't want the things that you want i'm very content with what i currently have so we split people are afraid of having the real conversation because of the the real actions that it requires if you're wrong split you waste another day and you're just pissing into the wind When you, when you structure a new venture or new thing that you're going to be doing, do you, how do you structure it in a way where you you win no matter what? And I'll give you an example, like this podcast, for example. My thought behind starting this podcast, and I committed to one podcast a week indefinitely, or at least for a year, is at the very least, I clarified my message for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's going to make me a better business owner through that. And then on top of that, it's very likely I might get in a situation like I'm having today where I'm getting to connect with someone like yourself and having this podcast, you know, is, is the ability to have a better conversation with someone, create a relationship. So even if I lose, even if two years from now there's no one listening to this, there's value gain. Mm-hmm. Do you think about that with structuring new projects or how do you think about that if you do? Good question. I don't. I just jump. I mean, I'm being honest with you, I jump. I mean, I'm, um, I've always kind of been the guy who, I never wanted to have to raise capital, so when I did it, really, it sucked. And I never want to do it again, even though we might, because now it's, but now we're doing it from a place of strength, as opposed to, I need this. Um... So I've always started businesses that didn't cost anything until they paid something. You know, like the CrossFit gym aside, that was, you know, it took 50 members to break even. It's not until you want to go from making $40,000 a year to $75,000 a year that it starts to actually cost you money to run that business. It's not until you want more than just the 40,000 and the freedom that it actually starts to cost you more in that business. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. So the CrossFit gym was a very low barrier to entry and it wasn't, I don't consider that a big outlay, um, even though I took a fucking investment for it. 
Um, I mean, it sounds like maybe ne- not necessarily sign up for to win, but there's a definitely a risk mitigation there as you're going on to this this next thing of, like you said, not investing too much until it's basically it's it's a self-sustaining thing. Maybe not self-sustaining, but it's fueling its own growth. Yeah, well, I like I when I told my wife I'm getting out of the gym and I'm getting out of the clinic, she was like, "I'm sorry, what?" I'm like, "I'm, I'm getting out of them." She's like, "When? Next week?" She was like. Wait a second. What do you mean you're getting out of the gym in the clinic next week? I got the conversation with my partner and it was like, yeah, I think like January 1 we should just be done. And I was going on vacation the next week. So I'm like, well, I'm done January. I'm done December 23rd. He's like, do you want to flip vacation schedules? And I'm like, no. I still get paid. No. Um, That's the truth. I didn't want to work extra just for what? So... Um, I was going to make less money that first month. That was that was how the money laid out. That's what that's what was going to be in front of me. And I was just like, no, fuck that. I don't want to do this anymore. So the best case scenario here is the worst case scenario for me long term. It's moderately successful, and I don't like it. Can't do it anymore. So uh, we we left all of that, and it was like, all right, well, jump. And then check your parachute. <laughs> I love that. I think so many people stick around with stuff, relationships, careers, jobs that just way longer than they need to. And just not being clear on why they're doing it, what they're getting out of it. Um, is it the right fit? And Well, and the reason for that is because they believe that if they leave something behind, they lack empathy. They lack emotion. They lack physical and human connection. And the truth is it's the opposite. Like my father schedules lunch with me, with my assistant. If dad, who I fucking love, my mom, who I love, if they want to have lunch with me, they have to call Sheila. It's just how it works. And in the beginning, they were like, that that doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. You're my son. I should be able to call you. I'm like, I'm your son. So you shouldn't be able to call me. Because if you call me when I'm not available to be present for the call, I'm not giving you all of me. If Sheila has scheduled it, I know there's nothing else on my schedule for this time slot. I put my phone in my pocket, I set an alarm for 10 minutes before the meeting needs to end, and I just tell you, hey, my alarm just went off, I have 10 more minutes. I'm totally present the whole time, I don't even check my phone. That's empathy. Not being there halfway through. I love that, I love it. Um, I wanna dive into something just really specific and tactical. Social media, something mm-hmm. that I've tried to do a better job of, and I'm just terrible. I think I'm better off just like deleting my accounts and keeping my focus on what I do really well. Um, but I wanted to just kind of hear from you on how you think about it and how you like specifically structure it in a tactical way. Like, do you think of an idea and post? I mean, obviously there's a plan there, but how do you, when something that's good and post worthy that you want to share, how do you? remember that stuff, set it, like what is the, how does it fit your life? I'm fortunate. I have a full-time media staff who's constantly providing me with great content. Before I had that, it was a struggle. I mean, we still grew, but it was a struggle. I think the mistake that most people make on social media is they try to do what someone else tells them they should do, as opposed to doing what feels natural. Like if you got on there, you're not successful on social media because you don't believe you can be successful on social media, let's be real. 
And the reason you don't believe you can be successful on social media is because you're trying to do it the way that I would do it or the way that Brooke Entz would do it. You're not me and you're not Brooke Entz. If you run your social media in a way that, that makes you feel good, that serves other people, that demonstrates vulnerability in your life and about yourself, it will grow. So, yeah, there's a strategy that I have, but it won't work for you. You know, it's the one the one strategy I think everybody should do that, that, that you have to make your own is have a schedule so that on that day, you don't have to think about what should this be about. You know, on Thursdays, I post about what I wish I knew five years ago. You know that on Mondays, you post about what I'm motivated about right now. You know that on Tuesdays, you post about tactics. You know that on Wednesdays, you post about some tangential wisdom. On Fridays, you post about the freedom that your life has become. On Saturdays, you talk about the status that you have or that you would like to have. And on Sundays, you talk about forgiveness to yourself and to others. For example, there's a schedule. Run with that and use that as your theme every time you post. Now, otherwise, be real. All right. I got my work cut out for me. Yeah. Perfect. Um... Cool. I want to wrap up there. I don't want to take any more of your time here. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or anything else that you felt like you, you missed or glossed over here? I missed some nice weather down here in Florida. I've been here for a week and it's like windy, cold. What's that all about? I don't know. We'll get something. Stick around long <laughs> enough. It'll, it'll I'll turn. be here till Tuesday. It's not snowing. I mean, have you looked at the true. weather up north? It's yes, way worse. That's true. Um, um, no, I mean, I think that we covered a lot of good stuff there. And I think that really... I hope there was definitely a different podcast. But I think that you achieved your goal of making this a different show than I've been on before. I hope that people listen. Um, it's not musing. You know, like, don't listen to this stuff just to be like, oh, I listen to this cool podcast. Take action. Assume that the things that you're hearing from me, from Andrew, from other people who you listen to on podcasts, assume that we're right. And just wear that for a month. All in. And if you don't like the way it fits, after the month is over, take it off. But assume we're right and don't make this a waste of an hour. I love that. You actually, I, you shared it. I don't know if it was you or your team shared a, uh, an MF CEO podcast about the powerless a while back. And I, mm-hmm. I messaged you about that. And it, you know, people asked me, oh, did you listen to other of his episodes? I was like, no, I listened to that one episode mm-hmm. and I've been implementing the powerless in my life. I mean, I've had weeks where it's been on and off, but I've been pretty set in that every single day since I listened to it and I've really made an effort to not listen to the rest of his podcast because one I I mean I don't know if we connect more Mm -hmm. personality wise but I just felt like I got enough in that thing to change my life if I just implement it and I think that was your comment when you posted it was like implement everything he says and it will change your life Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways I just want to thank you for your time Uh, you know and just say to the audience like Sean is the real deal He's been generous with his time when he's here. And he, I mean, has genuinely want to see us succeed, our team succeed, um, which is just amazing. So check out Active Life Podcast. Uh, Where can they find you? What other places can they find you? Active Life Rx everywhere. Um, Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram if you're looking for me personally. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you. Hey, guys. This is Andrew again. Thank you for listening to the 7 Figure Box Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. 
We're on a mission to help box owners around the world create their dream gyms, whether that means building a seven-figure gym or simply creating a gym that they love showing up to each day. So please leave us a review and share this episode with a fellow coach or gym owner that could benefit from this information.